Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. Yes, it is. And presented, as always, by Progressive Insurance with the great Patrick Ewing a half hour away on the Goodyear Hotline. Looking forward to that. And a reminder that while I would love you to hang out with me for two hours every day, because that's how long we're here, I understand you got things going on in your life. So if you ever miss anything on the show and you want to catch up, it's a podcast. We take each hour of this show, make them each their own individual one-hour podcasts. It's called Hashtag Greenie. You listen anytime you want. We can hang out whenever you have the time. You find it anywhere. You get your podcasts. Meanwhile, about this movie. Hey, bada, 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 so wing, bada. Hey, bada, 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 so wing, bada. Kennedy, 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 so wing, bada. We were just, if you're just joining me, we were just having a conversation, Bubba and I, about the filmmaker John Hughes and what is approaching his, what would have been his 71st birthday. He's dead now, but... Um, and I said that Ferris Bueller, I think, is his best movie, of, of which you could have a lot of options. I actually counted down the top three, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Breakfast Club, and then number one is Ferris Bueller. My very quick Matthew Broderick story, I have loved Matthew Broderick since that movie. I actually, I grew up in New York, as you may know, and I went to a lot of Broadway shows as a kid, and I have so, saw him on Broadway multiple times. He was in all these Neil Simon plays, and he's a phenomenal actor and incredibly funny. But Ferris Bueller is one of my favorite movies. So fast forward, it's about two years ago. It's right before the world shut down, right before the pandemic. Uh, Stace and I had our son, Stephen, on a college visit. You know, you go and you visit these colleges that they might attend. And so we're just walking the campus. They take you on a tour, and there's a bunch of other families. And purely coincidentally on the same day, Matthew Broderick and Sarah Jessica Parker are there with their son, who obviously is the same age as our son, and they're on the same tour. I want to make it 100% clear. I didn't speak to them. I don't know them. This is not name dropping. We're not friendly. I'd like to be, but I've never met them. We just happen to be in the same place at the same time. But the observation that I made was that everyone was losing their minds about her. It's SJP. It's SJP. What is she wearing? What is she wearing? All anyone wanted to talk about was what Sarah Jessica Parker was wearing. And all I kept saying is, do you people not realize that's Ferris Bueller? To me, now, I, let me, Bubba, let me ask you a question, because you're, you're a person who understands the way the world works. In general, what percentage of people would be more excited in America today to meet Sarah Jessica Parker versus Matthew Broderick? Stacey and I had this d- d- dispute where she said, there's no question more people will be interested in America to see Sarah Jessica Parker. And I fought back against that, although, like most fights, I lost that one one to one. So, Bubba, who would you would you guess is more more people would be excited to see? Well, I mean, I'm guessing uh, you know Sarah Jessica Parker is generally the female audience from Sex and the City is right. much more of a fan. So I I feel like it's it's split. I would imagine more of the male audience loves Matthew Broderick, but I I don't know. Maybe as a more recent overall, I think I give the nod to Sarah Jessica Parker. It upset me. It upset me greatly that people were not, I actually wanted, and they were trying to be as incognito as they could. Like they were trying to, you know, sort of play it cool, but like they're, he's, she's super famous. There's no way to avoid people recognizing them. They were very classy about it. They were very, but I, I wanted to run over and yell to people. You realize that's Matthew Broderick over there. You need to stop with what is she wearing? You need to pay attention to him. He's Ferris freaking Bueller. 
which is as good as it gets. But what was she wearing? Uh, she was wearing like these jeans, like very, like like very comfortable looking jeans with a lot of rips in them, and just a baggy sweater. Like I did, they said to me, I guarantee you, it cost like thousands. Of, what, what she was wearing was apparently very fashionable and extremely expensive. Did not look it. All right. it, was, it was probably designed to not look. It was designed to look like Bubba fashion. You know, which is, and Robbie, you are, of course, the height go, yeah. of, of, of haute couture, um, but it did not actually look that way. All right, let me get to the sports. The Scoop. All right, I've taken up too much time with that nonsense. So here's the scoop. Field Yates did this terrific piece. It's up on ESPN Plus right now, where he projected the starting quarterback for all 32 teams in the NFL next season. All 32 of them next season. And there was quite a few of them that are very interesting to me. I pulled out three for the purposes of this discussion, but we could go over all of them if you feel like it. He has the Patriots starting quarterback next year being Marcus Mariota. He has the Bears starting quarterback next year being Sam Darnold. And he has the Jets starting quarterback next year being Zach Wilson. Here's what I will say. Of those... I like one, I hate one, and I'm very torn on the other. The one that I'm actually least, that I feel the least strongly about is the one you would expect me to feel the most strongly about, which is the Jets one. Look, I've never seen Zach Wilson in my life. And if you hear people talk about him, you hear all the reasons that teams get excited about him, but they also sound like all the same reasons that people got excited about quarterbacks who don't wind up working out. Oh, he's got the unbelievable arm, the flash plays, he's got incredibly athletic. But then you hear other things like inconsistent and needs to put on weight. I'm not a big fan of a football player who needs to put on weight. That makes me very nervous. He's small. Not a big fan of small. Small and football usually don't go together real well. So I'm very torn on that. I will say I hate the fit of Sam Darnold in Chicago. I hate it for all my Chicago friends, and I hate it for Sam. That is not a good situation. Sam Darnold needs to be nurtured. Sam Darnold, I was watching a a feature this morning on the kangaroo. All right, I I love this app, this Headspace app, and it's all about baby kangaroos and how they, they gestate for a period of time in a pouch. That's what Sam Darnold needs. Sam Darnold needs to spend some time in a kangaroo's pouch. He needs an organization just to take him in, protect him in every way. He needs just to be sort of swaddled and protected because he got thrown to the wolves of New York immediately and he had no chance. He was, he was, he was unfortunately working for a completely dysfunctional, inept organization with disastrously bad ownership, a terrible general manager, and horrendous coaching and no talent around him. Sam Darnold's had no chance and he looks like he is beaten because of it. He looks like a beaten man. He, look, he looks like he's at his wit's end at, and at the end of his rope, and it's hard to, hard to blame him, professionally speaking, I mean. And it's hard to blame him for feeling that way. He needs to go someplace, I really believe, where either it is tailor-made for immediate success, like Indianapolis or San Francisco, or as much as he may not like this, the best path for him may be to go someplace and sit behind a really good quarterback. What he does not need is to go to a place where the coach is one minute away from getting fired. He does not need to go to Chicago where they are desperate to win and the fans are, are frustrated and fed up and just ready to start booing at anything that doesn't look right. That's a terrible fit. 
Sam Darnold in Chicago is a terrible fit, and I really hope it does not happen. I have a variety of thoughts on some of these other Yates possibilities. I will go through all of them. And I will also tell you why there's one important voice saying there will be one clear winner in all of this. And I'll tell you who that is coming up next. That plus Patrick Ewing on the way live. Busy day. It's Greeny on ESPN Radio. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had, happened in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Greeny today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Greeny, G-R-E-E-N-Y. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Greeny, the podcast. I am Greeny, and I'm presented by Progressive Insurance Small Business Protection for more than... Vehicles with insurance expertise to keep your company moving forward more at ProgressiveCommercial.com. I want to finish up what I was saying a moment ago, and that is, if you go to ESPN+, Plus, you can read Field Yates did a terrific piece where he projects the quarterback of every team in the NFL next year. All 32 teams who their starting quarterback will be next year, and I've been getting into it a little bit with you here. You should read the whole thing because it's good and it's fun. If you're a football fan, you'll like it. Um, it's sort of like a mock draft, but it's only quarterback, so it couldn't be more entertaining. And he has Sam Darnold winding up on the Bears, and for all the reasons I just got through telling you here, I hate that. I hate it for Sam. I hate it for the Bears fans. That's just not a good match. The Bears need a savior. The Bears need someone to come in there and be great, someone who is just great and knows he's great and everyone knows he's great. The Bears need Deshaun Watson like nobody's business. Sam Darnold needs a place where he can go, where he can be nurtured, where he can start all over again. He needs to be treated like a rookie because everything that has happened to him in New York, everything the New York Jets did was the opposite of development. What's the opposite of developing something? Hindering it? And the Jets are a disaster. And, and, and I mean, they genuinely owe Sam Darnold an apology. But he needs to start. He needs to be treated like a rookie. That's not what the Bears need. The Bears don't need Carson Wentz. The Bears don't need Sam Darnold. They need Deshaun Watson in the worst way. And if not, they need someone like Ryan Fitzpatrick. They need someone who's going to come in there and knows who he is and knows what he can do. So that's the fit there. And and, and as far as the Jets are concerned, I I told you that Field Yates has Marcus Mariota going to the Patriots. I find that an interesting one. Darnold going to the Bears. That's obviously interesting. I hate it. Um, And then he's got... Zach Wilson being picked number two with the Jets. I've been telling you for weeks, Zach Wilson is going to be the second pick in this draft. The, the only question is who's going to make it. Are the Jets going to take him or are they going to trade out of it? Here's something that I guess I would describe as sneaky big news. 
sneaky big news. And it's from the Draft Scout. And it's I'm going to read it to you directly. It's a quote. We've been told for three years that Clemson's Trevor Lawrence is a football god, surefire first overall pick, and the best prospect since at least Andrew Luck and maybe since Peyton Manning. Lawrence is QB1, or at least that's what we've all been told and kind of go along with. But not everyone sees it this way. In fact, as NFL scouting departments meet to stack up their draft boards and discuss the upcoming class, at least one team has Lawrence as QB2. And QB1 is BYU's Zach Wilson. And there's a quote here from an NFL college scouting director. Quote, What he does as a thrower and as a runner is exactly where we are as a league right now. He throws some of those 50-50 balls with his shoulders square to the defense after running around in the pocket, and I'm seeing Patrick Mahomes at Texas Tech all over again. This is why he's going to go number two. He's an enormous risk. As a general rule, not a big fan of risk. When you've been burned as many times as I have, I'm looking for a sure thing. But at the end of the day, here's what will decide this. For Trevor Lawrence, for Zach Wilson, for Trey Lance, for Mac Jones, for Justin Fields, and for everybody. Every player in football is a system player. The relative success of all of these guys will be determined by the circumstances they find themselves in. 100% of them. And so I will just repeat what I've been saying over and over again. If Sam Darnold had been drafted by Kansas City, he'd be a superstar. If Patrick Mahomes had been signed by the Jets, he'd be a bust. And that's the way it all works. So if Jacksonville does a good job of surrounding Trevor Lawrence with the right parts and the right pieces and the right coaching and everything else, he'll be great. He obviously has the tools to be great. And if they're a disaster, he won't be. And that goes for every one of these guys. It remains universally true. At the end of the day, it will come down to their circumstances more than anything else. Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance, and we have Patrick Ewing coming up shortly on the Goodyear Hotline. Also want to make sure you know the college basketball season is heating up, and that means the Wendy's Wooden Watch is very much underway. You can go to ESPN.com, search Wooden Watch for the list of the Wooden Award late season top 20 nominees to watch. As the season rolls on, they include USC's Evan Mobley, Scored 22 points to lead the 17th-ranked Trojans over Arizona State last night. The John R. Wooden Award is presented by Wendy. I need you to listen carefully. I just want you to know. All right, there's something I just want you to know. Uh, Bubba, you've been with me years. How how many years were we together on Mike and Mike? Uh, About six, seven years. So you and I, we've been together a really long time. And you've been with me in public a little, not a lot, because you didn't used to travel with us as much. But when people meet me, I've been on TV long enough that people just recognize my face. Same. When people meet me, <laughs> do you know what the most common thing they say to me is? Overwhelmingly, the most common thing that I am told when people meet me is, you're bigger than I thought you'd be. Hmm. Yeah. I get that all the time. And the answer or the reason is very simple. I've spent my entire adult life around professional athletes, around enormous people who on television, because they're generally surrounded by other enormous athletes, don't look like they're enormous. And so the outlier is me. And people think, I'm this little wee dude. I sat next to Mike Golick for 18 years. Mike Golick was a defensive tackle in the National Football League. He's six foot five. At his, at his most, he weighed over 300 pounds. He weighs way less than that now. So I have been fighting the perception that I'm a little person, like a small man, my entire life. 
And so what happens today? My television staff, we have Chris Canty in studio. Have you ever seen Chris Canty? Chris Canty is, he's like, he's real estate. You could build on him. He's six foot eight, 330 pounds. He's the largest human being you will ever come across. And he's in our studio because he's, you know, he's one of the few people we can have in here because of coronavirus and all that stuff. And so the staff decides in the middle of the show, hey, Greeny, you know what'll be funny? Greeny, let's have you and Chris do a shot standing next to each other and it'll be really funny how small you look. So they do that. My wife takes a screenshot of that and just posted it on Twitter. If you go to my wife's Twitter account, at Stacy GSG, there is a picture of me standing next to Chris Canty, who again is six foot eight and weighs 330 pounds. And she put as the caption, Greeny is not short. Well, you know what the best way to not make people think I'm short is? Don't post pictures of me next to Chris Canty. So I can't get a break. Bubba, I can't get a break. I got no the break. TV staff setting me up next to next to this behemoth. Have you ever stood next to Canty? <laughs> I mean, I knew he was tall, but 6'8". Six, 6'8". Eight. Six, eight. He's a giant. He is the beanstalk. He's what? How else does one describe a person who's big? He's huge. And so the TV staff thinks it's funny that I stand next to him and I look small. And then my wife thinks it's funny. And so she posts a picture. And so now I got to deal with this again. So thus is what is happening in my life again. You can see that on Twitter if you want. It's on her page up at, at Stacey GSG. And we'll get that up as well. Meantime, he is the man after whom my brother named a hamster. The great Patrick Ewing live next on ESPN Radio. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Greeny, the podcast. We roll along. My name is Greeny, and I am coming to you live, as always, from above the Heineken River deck at Pier 17. And it is very rare that I get this level of excited for an interview, but this is the first time I've ever had the opportunity to speak to this man on any of my shows and to give you an indication of just how big a fan I was of Patrick Ewing. I will merely say that in my house when I was growing up, we had a hamster 
and its name was Patrick. And that was not a coincidence. We named our pet after the great Patrick Ewing as we continue Legends Week here on ESPN Radio. Good morning, Patrick Ewing. Good morning, Greeny. How's everything going with you? Well, I, I wish I could have told you we named a dog after you, but I grew up in a building that didn't allow dogs. <laughs> we weren't allowed. We weren't allowed to have dogs. So the hamster was the best we were allowed. So we had a little hamster, a little habit trail. Remember those habit trails would take over like the whole room, and we named him Patrick in your honor. Well, I, I really appreciate that. I appreciate the love. All right. Listen, love is, is exactly the right word. And is, we're doing a little Legends Week here, so I want to tell old stories. But I do want to start with the circumstances. Everyone is well aware you're obviously the coach at Georgetown now. And, and, and we have talked with some of the coaches across the country in this extraordinary season where the circumstances are so different than at any other time and, and hopefully that they will ever be again. Just how would you describe what it is like trying to conduct a basketball season in the middle of this pandemic? You know, it, it is a crazy time that we're living in uh, with the coronavirus is, is running havoc, uh, not only in here in America, but all over the world. And everyone is just trying to do their best to navigate the circumstances you know, uh, we here at Georgetown, we're, we're trying to do our best, just like everyone else in, in college sports and any 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 sport, uh, just trying to do the best to try to keep their guys both mentally and physically, uh, you know, safe and try to get through the season uh, as best as we can. How would you describe the emotions of stepping into this role at your alma mater? And, and we'll talk about your old coach coming up here shortly, whom we lost last year. But, you know, I'm, I'm close to the university that I attended many years ago. I can't imagine what it must be like to come back to where you went to school all those years later and, and be the head basketball coach. What, what is, emotionally, what is it like for you? It's great. Um, you know, I, I've worked extremely hard to try to be a head coach in the, in the NBA. And that it did not happen. And when uh, when Coach Thompson called me and told me I should try to get an interview for this job, at first I was like, no, you know, they just fired, you know, JT3. Um, I didn't think it was right. Um, but I thought about it. And when, when I when I called the president, uh, when I called President DeJoy and asked if I could be if I could get an interview, um, you know, it, it, it was when and when I got the job, it, it was it was great. You know, I think, you know, things come full circle. I started out here as, as, as a player uh, um, playing for Coach Thompson. And now I'm the one sitting in his seat and trying to do a lot of the same things that he did in terms of teaching my players uh, and educating them about life and, and about talking to them about, you know, uh, getting their degree and in their life after basketball. And I think that I'm a great example of that in terms of, you know, I was I'm one of the one of the guys who were fortunate enough to make it to the NBA, but I, I still was able to get my degree. And now I'm here back at, at my alma mater coaching and trying to teach not only coaching, but teaching, parenting, parenting, doing all of those things, trying to help uh, the next generation. I know how close you were to John Thompson, and he was such a legendary and iconic figure. When you hear today his voice in your head, what is he saying? Um, you know, I, I, it's funny because I hear a lot of different things. Hmm. Uh, hear him patting me on the back. I hear him, you know, cursing me out. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's a lot of different different voices. And, you know, today, being here and for three years while I was here, 
he would come into practice. He would come into my office and I, you know, I, I would hear his voice. And now this year, there's been a lot of times where, where I'm expecting him to, to open that, that, that side door in, in our gym and be coming into the practice or coming into the, to, to my office, talking to me about basketball, talking to me about game plans. Uh, so I definitely miss him. He's definitely an icon. He's, he's a person that, that I've learned a lot from, uh, and I miss him. And the, the world misses him a lot. One of the truly great and, and most important figures in the history of college basketball, the great Patrick Ewing, is with me. All right, let, let's have a little fun here as, as we're going to do some fun story time here. Oh, he's got, oh, for those of you not watching along on TV, he's got yes. the towel. I'm putting the towel on. The NABC is, is uh, they've, done a, they've done a great job of honoring him. And this week, uh, most, I uh, think all college head coaches uh, are supposed to be wearing uh, the John Thompson towel to honor him. Over the shoulder, uh, as was his tradition. That's a great touch and a great moment there. Again, Patrick Ewing is with me. So as we just tell some old stories here, I try to explain to people who aren't old enough to remember what the Big East was like when you played in it. And, and look, the world changes. Things go on. But you, Georgetown, Syracuse, St. John's, Villanova, all, how would you describe to people who don't remember it what the Big East was like in the 80s? You know, it's funny because people look at all those other uh, leagues or conferences and say they are the best conference in, in college sports. And at, at, in my era, the Big East where it was, the, it was the toughest, most physical, best conference uh, in, in sports. You know, all, you know, you talk about Villanova, you talk about Georgetown, you talk about St. John's, uh, Connecticut. All of us, we were all great at, at some point uh, in, in, that, in, those de- in that decade. And, you know, we put college basketball on, on the map. You know, you talk about myself, Chris Mullen, Ed Pickney, uh, to, to name a few. We had some great guys and some great talent. And, you know, we kicked butt and took name. We kicked <laughs> butt with, against one another uh, in terms of in, our interconference games. And then we kicked butts uh, outside of the conference. As a kid growing up myself in New York at that time, I rooted for St. John's and those, those, those games were epic. And that year in 85, when three Big East teams all made it to the Final Four, you and, and, and St. John's and then Villanova, just epic stuff. But what would you have considered to have been, though, at that time? If I, at that time, I said to you, who was your most hated rival? Which, which was the, the, the most important rivalry to you? You know, we, we had a few. But I would have to say probably St. John's because of Chris. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had some 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 great battles, and we hated each other back <laughs> when we played against each other uh, when it was Georgetown, St. John's, and we became uh, great friends afterwards. Um, but I would say St. John's. We had some some remarkable battles, um, but you can you can't take anything away from Syracuse also because those were great as well, um, going against Pearl and, and his guys, but. I would say Chris Mullen, uh, the fact that he was uh, such a fierce competitor, he could shoot the heck out of the ball, Walter Berry, Will, Bill Wellington, all those guys, 
Um, Louis with his sweater, mm-hmm. uh, you know, great coach. We had some great coaches and they had some great players. It, w- it was, again, for those of you who are not old enough to have seen it, Big East basketball in the 80s was just something unlike anything I've ever seen in any sport, and I'm not sure we'll ever see it again. Greeny and the great Patrick Ewing, who's with me. You really burst onto the national stage. I mean, for those who don't remember it, I mean, you were a kid from Cambridge, and when you came to Georgetown, it was a very big deal. But anyone who didn't know you certainly knew you after the opening sequence of the national championship game your freshman year (laughs) against North Carolina. I remember this game like it was being played 15 minutes ago. How many shots did you goaltend right off the beginning to set a tone of that game against North Carolina? First of all, Greeny, yeah. you know, uh, after rewatching that that game, yeah. I think maybe one or two of them might have been goaltend, <laughs> but not all five of them. I think they they called five goaltending uh, on me uh, in that game. And you know, it's funny because before the game, Coach Thompson told me, anything that anyone comes to the, to the hole, block it. Go up and block it. Go attend it. Do whatever you need to do. Uh, set, you know, set set the stage, and that's what I try to do. Oh, please don't freeze. Basket. Oh, yeah. send it back. We have the great Patrick Ewing with us, and, and I don't want the signal to go because the stories are just so good. That was Georgetown against North Carolina for the College Basketball National Championship. Patrick Ewing is a freshman. Michael Jordan is a freshman. Sam Perkins, James Worthy on those Carolina teams. It ends in one of the most famous plays ever, unfortunately, for the Georgetown side of it when a player named Fred Brown accidentally throws the ball to the wrong team, throws it to Worthy, who goes down there and scores a bucket. And I'm hoping that we have worked out our signal there with Patrick Ewing. I think we have. So, Patrick, when people ask you about that game, which, which I, I have to assume people ask you about it all the time, it's one of the most famous games ever played. What do you remember the most about it? You know, what I remember most about it is the fact that we didn't have anyone to, to guard James Worthy. Mm-hmm. Everybody talk about how great Michael did, but Michael, he had a, he had a, pretty, he had a pretty good game. But James Worthy was the, the, the man. He, he was the one we had no, no answer for. And, yes, Fred uh, made a mistake and, and turned the ball over. But even, even as well as James played and as well as Michael played, we, if we hadn't turned the ball over, we still had an opportunity to, to beat them. Absolutely. Uh, it, it's, it's one of the greatest games I can ever remember. And then you have a terrific four-year career at Georgetown. You win one national championship, make three Final Fours, three national championship games, and then you are the first ever number one overall pick of the lottery era. So when you first came to New York, and, and again, as a kid there growing up at that time, it, it was I would describe it as euphoria when, when the Knicks got the right to draft you. What, what do you remember about the early days? What, what are your, your QB Brown and, and all of that? What are your recollections of the early days in New York? Well, you know, um, being drafted by the Knicks, I was very happy because, one, I was close to Boston. That's where my family was. Uh, I had a sister living in New York, and a lot of friends who graduated from Georgetown were also living in in New York. So, but it was it was the the early days was rough. Uh, my first two seasons, I think, we, my first year we won uh, twenty three games, and the next season we won twenty four games. Uh, so, it, we didn't have the talent that everyone else had, but we we still played hard. We uh, UB was still a, a great coach, but it, we we just didn't have enough. Um, when, when I, when, when the Knicks got drafted me, everyone thought it was going to be, 
you know, that I was going to automatically elevate the, the team and, and, this, and the, the, uh, the city to where we, where we, where, where we got to uh, three, four, five years later when, when Pat Riley uh, came. Um, but it wasn't the case. Uh, it was rough. We, we had a lot of heartaches. I got hurt my first two seasons. Uh, they got down on me uh, uh, at, at one point, but we were able to resurrect it. The Knicks brought in uh, Dave Checkers, Ernie Grunfeld, and I think that's when things started to change. But it started with Rick Pitino when Rick Pitino was our coach. Uh, that was our first time making it to the playoffs. Uh, we, we beat uh, Indiana, and then we, I think we played. I'm not sure who we played. I think we played against uh, Detroit. Or might might have been Boston. They all they all run together. I'm getting old, Greeny. They all run together <laughs> yeah. now. I remember the, the, the bomb squad. Those teams, you guys were shooting threes. Rick Pitino was so far ahead of his right. time at that point, basically at a time when no one was talking about shooting threes. You guys with Johnny Newman and that whole team, and you guys were just ch- chalking up threes. And you made the playoffs that one year, and then Pitino leaves to go to the to the Kentucky to go to Kentucky, and that was what it was. And then Riley comes. And so the last thing I wanted to talk to you about today, again, the great Patrick Ewing is with me, the rivalry with Jordan's Bulls. And as one who covered those series, by the time that happened, I was living in Chicago, working there, and I was covering the Bulls. So you couldn't have been more in the middle of something than I was because I got my whole family in New York chanting, go New York, go New York, go. And I'm covering the Bulls for the sports talk radio station in Chicago, and I'm with them every day. And the drama of those series when you guys played them every year, 92, 93, 94, it was so epic. How do you look back on it now? Um, you know, it's funny. Michael and I are, are very good friends. As a matter of fact, he's the one who got me into coaching. Uh, he started me coaching by uh, giving me a, an opportunity here in, with the Wizards. Um, but back then, we, and we, we, we have been knowing each other from, from high school. But we, we had some some remarkable battles some great battles and and the crazy thing is he talks so much trash that even today he lets me know <laughs> that I was never able to beat his team <laughs> uh it's like the only time you beat the bulls was was the year that I retired um but you know we had some great battles and you know it's funny because I believe that we had some we had some very good teams and if it wasn't for him and his team, I might have been able to uh, possibly have an opportunity to win a, one, maybe two rings. Mm-hmm. But he was just so dominant and such a, a great uh, competitor um, that it wasn't in the cards for me. Patrick, I, I can't tell you again how much I appreciate you taking this time again. Patrick Ewing, now the coach at Georgetown. Best of luck with the rest of your season. We hope you win every game and we hope that we will catch up again soon. Thank you so much and the best of everything. My pleasure, and thank you again for having me on. Oh, you got go it. Hoyas. Yeah, go Hoyas. That's the great Patrick Ewing with me here. I could have done that all day, but we have major, major breaking news um, that I, I need to jump to here in the last three minutes. Adam Schefter just tweeted, Philadelphia has agreed to trade Carson Wentz to the Indianapolis Colts in exchange for a 2021 third-round pick and a conditional second-round pick in 22 that could turn into a first. That is reporting from Adam Schefter and Chris Mortensen. Again, this is something we have been anticipating. It is certainly not a surprise. It is exactly what I think Wentz wanted. It is the best-case scenario for him. Again, I will read it again. Adam Schefter tweeting, 
Philadelphia has agreed to trade Carson Wentz to the Colts for a 2021 third-round pick and a conditional two in 2022 that could turn into a first. So we start with the details. From the Indy side, I love it. Love it. If we're going to look at this from three different sides, let me organize my thoughts again. This is just happening kind of as we go. There's three sides to look at this from. There's the Wentz side, the Eagles side, the Colts side. The biggest winner in it all is Wentz. This is exactly what he wanted. This, this is the best case scenario for him. He goes to a great team that is 100% championship ready. He's going to play behind a great offensive line with really good weapons, an outstanding offensive coach. His games will be in a dome. They have a, a championship caliber defense. Can I say again how great his offensive line is? That is a tailor-made situation. Add water. And that's a Super Bowl contender. So if Carson Wentz can recapture any semblance of what he was at his best, the Colts are absolutely a Super Bowl contender today. So the biggest winner in this is Wentz. Next is Indy. I do believe this is what they wanted. Reich knows. And so if Reich wants, there's no way they do this if Reich doesn't want it to happen. So Reich obviously believes I can make Carson Wentz that guy we saw in 17. So I believe the Colts are a winner in this, and they're a big winner because of how little they give up. The overwhelming loser in this is the Eagles. It's hard to put into words how much the Eagles lose here. The Eagles had what they thought was a franchise quarterback. They paid him a trillion dollars. They basically sat by and watched him tear apart their entire franchise. They fire the coach. They create a a ridiculously bad situation. They win a Super Bowl without him. And now when they finally trade him, They thought they were going to get a Matthew Stafford-like package. They get a third-round pick this year and a conditional two that could turn into a one. That is so much less than I have to believe they anticipated and that the world anticipated. And I'm now going to enter into the area of conjecture. This is no longer Adam Schefter's reporting. This is me supposing. I think that Wentz made it clear through intermediaries, however that stuff works, That Indy is where he wanted to go. I have to believe that there are teams out there that would have given up more than the Eagles got for Carson Wentz. But you don't want to get a disgruntled Carson Wentz. We've all seen what a disgruntled Carson Wentz looks like, and it's not pretty. You want Wentz as gruntled as you can get him. And I think that his his the way he's gruntled is to go to Indianapolis. So the Eagles are unimaginable losers in this scenario. Look, just getting rid of him, I think, to some degree, is addition by subtraction. They had to do it. But if you had told me when I woke up this morning, what are the Eagles going to get for Carson Wentz, and the answer came back, a three and a conditional two, I would have said that's a disaster. A disaster. So is Jalen Hurts their quarterback now? We'll see. Again, the Colts, I think, are an an absolute contender bordering on favorite. When you list the favorites in the AFC as of this moment, and we'll see where everything shakes out, there's a lot of moves left to make, and a fellow by the name of Deshaun who could rewrite a lot of this. But as currently constituted, I put the Colts right there. It's Kansas City, it's Buffalo, maybe Baltimore, and and, I, I, and then the, on the come, Cleveland. And I love everything about this move for the Colts. I think the Colts are that good. They have elite coaching. Elite, their general manager is a stud. That guy, Chris Ballard, is awesome. They still have money to spend. Well, I don't know that they do now with Wentz's contract. His contract actually is pretty reasonable now. If he recaptures himself, 
What's left on his contract isn't that bad. So here's the first, well, I guess Stafford was the first. Here's the second huge domino to fall in this game of quarterback musical chairs, in this, in this quarterback carousel. Carson Wentz is an Indianapolis Colt. Boy, that's really remarkable. So obviously the coverage of this will continue all day long here on ESPN Radio and across all of ESPN TV. Sports Center will go on the air in just a few minutes on TV, and you can sort of catch up with what they're doing there. This is enormous, enormous news. Wentz gets what he wants. The Eagles, I think, get borderline fleeced. And the Indianapolis Colts, I think, vault right at or near the top of the list of contenders in the AFC. This offseason is going to be fun, and I'm looking forward to continuing to cover it. Thanks again, Lewis Riddick, for some time today. Thank you, Patrick Ewing, just for being you. It's been fun today. Thanks for hanging out. I'll see you tomorrow on ESPN Radio. Greeny, the podcast.